Thank you for joining us tonight online, if you are joining us online, or here in person, if you are here in person. I don't take it for granted. And on behalf of the church leadership team, if I haven't already seen you, may I um, wish you a very happy new year and new decade. May you know God's grace in what lies ahead. May you know his peace and his presence in all things. And may you be given the ability to put him first in every part of your life, whatever that looks like and whatever that might mean. Tonight we are beginning a week of prayer across our church family and as Rebecca and Jonah have already indicated, there's a little schedule for that um, outside in the foyer as you leave. If you are a, um, a subscriber or a follower of our Facebook page, it's there as well. We also have a, um, a prayer circle group on Facebook, which is a closed group for members and regular attenders of Dundonald because we publish private prayer issues there. If you would like to receive those, and I will be posting prayer updates in that space this week, then you will need to um, like that page and we'll be able to make sure that that's sorted out. So if you look for the prayer circle page for Dundonald Elam, you'll be able to find that. If you're not in that page, then some of the things that I'll be posting for prayer this week will not be on the Facebook page, and I leave that with you. Um, but we will also be uh, saying some things about the prayer focuses across the rest of this week um, through this. And in designing this uh, week of prayer, I wanted to make sure that we didn't exhaust you by the end of week one of the year. So there aren't lots of extra meetings uh, shoved into this week. Instead, there are really only two extra opportunities to gather together. The first is Wednesday night, which is not an extra opportunity, but what we're going to do is focus our Wednesday evening on praying together and seeking God together. It starts at 7.30 and it finishes at 9. I would love to see you all, if you are able to make it, or online. We'll be praying for one another, we'll be praying for our church, we'll be praying for our vision and for our sense of direction. That will be an important evening together. And then on Friday, we have our normal prayer meetings at 7.15 and midday, but we will also be gathering together, as Jonah said, at 7.30 in the evening with the 412 team and with the 412 crew, and we'll be praying together as a church. And that's an extra evening. I'm really, really looking forward to that. And I'd love to see you at those two extra gatherings if you're able to make it. The rest of the week is divided into various subjects and focuses for you to pray as God leads you and guides you. And if you want to sign up for a prayer slot on Tuesday or Thursday when we have a 24-7 prayer space, then we would love you to do that too. We don't want you to miss out, but nor do we want to exhaust you. And we think we've got a good balance in our plans for this week. So I commend that to you. But why pray at all? It's an obvious answer for those of us that are followers of Jesus, but it is good to remember, I think, that God hears us. It's also a remarkable thing, don't you think? We can sometimes take it rather for granted that God, the creator of the universe, the one that spun stars into space and holds everything in its place, is interested in your cry and mine. I've heard many sermons on prayer that make you feel guilty, that make you feel as if you're not good enough at it. I guess nobody's good enough at prayer, are we? We're all amateurs in this practice of talking to God and listening to him. But this evening I want to encourage you with the idea that God hears you. And I want to reflect with you on 
What a difference that makes in our lives and how we can be transformed by it. I find it remarkable. I've said this to you before here in this congregation, but I find it really remarkable that God listens to me. And he doesn't listen to me more than he will listen to you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. He doesn't have favorites, you know. I think sometimes we think he really listens to him, but doesn't really listen to her. He listens to us. And when I think, here is young Malcolm Duncan, um, a whippersnapper of a fella, and God listens to him. I can't get my head around it. I think I'll spend all of my life trying to work out why that would be so, and exploring the joy and the beauty and the possibility that prayer brings to us. I wonder if you are a Christian tonight, who taught you to pray? I learned to pray in the church that I was converted in, Whitewell Metropolitan Church, the old building at the top of the Whitewell Road. And the first prayer meeting I ever went into, I was saved on the Sunday, um, I was converted on the Sunday, and on the Monday night I went to a prayer meeting, and there were about seven or 800 people at it, And um, when they started to pray, I thought, this is amazing. Apart from the first night night that I went to the prayer meeting, there was a lady that was trying to pray for the security forces. And she got confused. And instead of praying for the UDR, she prayed for the UVF, which wasn't (laughs) the most helpful moment in the prayer gathering. I heard people praying, uh, getting their words round the wrong way, praying for unsold saved ones instead of unsaved souls. And I heard in that prayer gathering mistakes and blunders and grammar inconsistencies, but I heard passion. I heard people who really wanted to talk to God. And I think I fell in love with old-fashioned prayer meetings because of that. Uh, when somebody would stand to pray, they sat on seats that were like cinema seats that were a goldy color. And when uh, the pastor asked everybody to stand, everybody would stand, and all you could hear was <laughs> as all of these seats went up, and then people would sit down. And as somebody would pray, you'd hear an amen or an amen or an amen here or there. And sometimes you would have in a hall that was quite big five or six people praying at once. It didn't make a blind bit of difference. Because we knew that God could hear us. But I learned to pray by listening to people praying. And after a, a couple of times of attending the prayer meeting, I thought, I, 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 want to, I want to know how to do this. So I, in my little bedroom, got two chairs. I didn't grow up in a Christian family at all. I didn't know very much about God. Um, and I put one chair here and another chair here. And I sat in one of the chairs and talked to God as if he was sitting in the other chair. And I can remember saying to God, I don't know if this is the right way to do this or not, but I'm trying to work out how to talk to you. And I sat with a notepad and a pen and a Bible. And I assumed that if I spoke to God, that he would be interested enough to talk back. So as I read the Bible, I would read it and write something down, then talk to God about it, and then read something else and talk to God about it, and read something else and talk to God about it. And I've been praying ever since. 
I've made some terrible blunders in prayer. I've shouted at God. I have complained to him more than I have thanked him, I think. I have fallen out with him. I have argued with him. I've wrestled with him. I've tried to work out what he wants. I've made mistakes in how I've heard him. But through all of this journey, I've discovered that prayer has changed my life. It's made me a better man, I think. It's made me a kinder man. It certainly made me a better father. And it's made me a better husband. And it's made me a better pastor. I want to introduce you to my dear old friend, and I was almost going to crack a joke about somebody else, but I'm not, because my wife would shout at me if I did that. And I never make jokes about you, Debbie, do I? This is my dear old friend. I don't know if you can see it over on that side, but as we begin our um, brief exploration of the God who hears, I thought, and this is a slightly vulnerable moment because nobody's ever seen me kneeling on this praying in public before, I thought I'd introduce you to my prayer still. I bought this um, a number of years ago. It had been refurbished and was in really good nick but it's kind of worn out now. And um, when I pray for you, which I do every day, when I'm in Carnlock, which is where this normally stays, a a house we have down there, um, this is where I pray for you. And I want to pray for you now. The kind of prayer that I pray each morning for this congregation The kind of prayer I pray for your families, for your children, for your grandchildren. I want you to know that um, I think that my praying is more important than my preaching. I think that when I accepted the call of God to come and pastor this congregation, uh, most of you thought, oh, I like his preaching. Not all of you. But not very few of you knew about my praying. And you can be a, a brilliant pastor here, preaching. But if you haven't knelt here, this will not make a difference. You can be an orator. You can be clever with words. You can whip up a crowd. You can make people feel as if anything is possible through how you speak. But unless you're willing to pray for them, you have no right to lead them. You can be a great husband, but unless you're a praying husband, you'll not be a husband that can make a real difference in your marriage. You can be a wonderful mother, but a praying mother changes the lives of her children. You can be a great granny or a great granddad or a great friend, or a great aunt, or a great uncle, or a great brother, or sister, or neighbor. But if you are a praying brother, or sister, or aunt, or uncle, or all of those things, then you have the capacity to call down heaven and to change somebody's world by the grace of God. So before I talk to you about hearing God, I'd like to talk to God with you. Would you like to pray with me?
Holy God, thank you that you have made and crafted each person that is part of the family of Dundonald Elam. Thank you that you know them, that you see them, that you love them, and that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. And tonight I pray that you will, by the power of your Holy Spirit, nestle upon each family, guard each heart, protect each life. I pray for those who have been burdened with heartbreak and sadness and despair, whose losses have been great and tears have been many. And I ask that you will scoop them up in your arms and give them peace. I pray that you will hold them close to your chest and that they will hear your heartbeat and that they will know that they are loved by you. I pray for those who have had to bury loved ones, who have had to say goodbye too soon to those that they have lived with and shared life with, whether recently or many years ago. And God, I ask you to be the one who comforts them and strengthens them and holds them in your hand. I pray, Father, for those that are on the brink of making the most disastrous decisions, whose marriages are under threat, whose relationships are strained, who are burning the candle at both ends and are burning themselves out. Would you come, Holy Spirit, to them at this very moment and pour life into them? I ask you for those who are trapped in their pasts, broken by their sin, feeling as if they're never going to escape their failures and their errors and their misjudgments. Would you breathe fresh life upon them by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you remind them that they are loved and cherished by you? Would you root your people in your word, Lord? Would you protect marriages in our church? Would you protect our children and our young people? Would you keep them free from sin and from making foolish mistakes? Would you keep their eyes fixed on you? I pray, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would let love for Jesus blaze in the heart of each one. I ask, Lord, that they would fall more deeply in love with you. I pray that they'll never put me on a pedestal, that they'll never put any woman or man above you, but that they will put you first, that they will fall more deeply in love with your word, that they will follow where you are leading. I pray that in our congregation you will raise up businesswomen and businessmen and pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets and encouragers and carers and nurses. I pray that each person would follow the call that you've placed upon them. I pray for those that will be saying goodbye to their sons or daughters in the days that lie ahead because they're going back to university. Would you give them the courage to do it? And would you hold our young people as they go back to their places of study? Would you hold them in the hollow of your hand? Would you keep them free from the snares of the evil one? Would you remind them that you are a better choice in every set of circumstances? I pray that you would protect our marriages, that you would protect our purity. I pray for our leadership team, that you would hold them close to your hand, that you will protect their marriages and their children. I pray for those that are carrying children, Lord, that you will look after them, that you will keep them safe, that you will hold their little ones in your hand. I pray for those that are longing to carry a child, 
For those that have lost children, would you answer their prayers? Would you give them courage and peace and grace? I pray that as we gather in your name, that we will hear from you. That more than hearing from a man or having good singing, that we will enter into the very presence of the living God. And that we will be men and women set ablaze with your glory and with your love. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us when we put other things first. Forgive us when we get confused. Forgive us when we get caught up in things that don't really matter. And keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus. And I give you the future of Dundonald Elam. I give you every part of who we are. All that we are seeking to do. All that we are seeking to be. And I ask you in the name of Jesus to be everything to us, Lord. To keep our hearts focused on you. To keep our eyes set on you. Fill your people with your spirit. Release your gifts in the hearts and lives of your people. Give them courage and confidence to follow you. Give them a sense of direction and purpose. And as they hear your word, may their lives be transformed by it and for your glory. And I pray for my colleagues that you will help us to pastor well, to love, to be present, to listen, to be attentive and kind and compassionate. Give us the courage to always tell the truth. Give us the ability to put you first in all things. And Lord, I pray for revival and renewal and awakening in the church for your spirit to move so powerfully that men and women will queue down the street, that they will come from the north, the south, and the east, and the west to hear of what you're doing, not because we want a name, but we want your kingdom to be extended, your name to be uplifted, your son to be glorified, and your gospel to be proclaimed. Lord, we love you. And we thank you. We thank you that you are present with us always. And Lord, I can't pastor this congregation. I can't give them words of wisdom. I look at their lives and my heart breaks for them. I don't know how to help them. I don't know the right words. I haven't got the strength that it takes to carry this fellowship. It's too heavy. The burdens are too great. The sorrows and the sadnesses are too consuming. But I thank you that you are strong enough. That this is your church. These are your people. You know them. And I gladly relinquish any control over them into your hand. And I pray that they will know the nearness of Jesus. And that they will know your comfort and your grace. Lord, it doesn't matter if they forget me. But if they forget you, they've lost everything. So would you draw them to Jesus and place a deep passion in their hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. God hears us. He hears our cries. And he hears you. He's interested in your life. That's more important in my ministry than this. This only flows from that. But I want to encourage you tonight to know that God is present here in this little room and that he has something to say to you and that he longs to hear your voice. And that when he hears it, it's a joy to him. 
It brings him great joy to know that you want to talk to him, however old you are or young you are. And I want to remind you from the Bible that God cares about you. Please turn with me in your Bibles to two different passages of Scripture to start us off, both found in the Old Testament. The first is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. These words were prayed, spoken to God by King Solomon on the day that he dedicated a, a wonderful building called the temple to God's glory. Before we get too excited about Solomon's dedication, it's worth remembering that he spent seven years building his temple and 13 years building his palace. But here's how he prayed on the day that he dedicated the temple that had just been completed. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Solomon has cried out to God and said, Will you hear us? Will you turn to us? Will you be merciful to us? And God says back, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways and will humble themselves and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. This is a promise that when God hears us, there is something of consecration, something of hope that is birthed in our souls. I mentioned earlier that I'd been converted in Whitewell, in the old building, across the balcony, as some of you might have been in it, there were written in huge big words, if my people, who are called by my name. It was the key verse of that church for many, many, many years. And I don't know very much about theology, and I don't mean that facetiously, I mean that genuinely. I don't know very much about God. I know less about him now than I have ever known about him, but I love him more than I've ever loved him. But I know this is true. If Northern Ireland, if the church, if the Christians in Northern Ireland want to see God moving again, then we need to pray. There is no shortcut. There's no magic formula. We need to pray. And what is true of the church in this province and on this island is true of our lives. We can spend more time caught up in our anxieties and our worries and our fears, talking to each other, there's nothing wrong with that. Talking to a pastor, there's nothing wrong with that. Talking to friends, there's nothing wrong with that. But one word from God, one revelation from the Holy Spirit can change a thousand situations. And God lays an open invitation to his people and says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear. At this moment of great celebration, 
for the people of Israel when the temple had been finished and everything was set, it was perfect, but it would have remained nothing but a white elephant had God not said something. Imagine a tremendous building. Imagine us getting to the end of our building project, hopefully at some point this year. And we've finished our extension and we've built the cafe and we've got our new office. We've got it all in place. And we don't ask God to visit us. Why do it? Why have a great building and no presence? No sense of God. No sense of his capacity to transform lives. I could take you tonight to church after church after church that have fantastic facilities, but lives are not changed there. The only thing that can change a life is when God reaches out of heaven and touches it by the power of his Holy Spirit. No preacher has the capacity to do that. No pastor has the capacity to do that. The only thing that can change a human being from the inside out in a way that will last eternally is God. And if it was hard to ask God to do that, then there must be a reason why it's hard. Because the enemy of our souls would rather that we talk to everyone and anyone else other than God. But if he can do something and he has said to us, and here is how it works. If you pray, I'll listen. If you turn, I'll respond. If you cry out, I'll answer. If you acknowledge that you need me, I will meet you. If you are humble enough to be broken before me, I will rebuild you. What a remarkable thing. God is not looking for the cleverest people in this room. He's a bit cleverer than all of us, you know. He's not looking at them for the most attractive. He's not looking for the wealthiest or the best connected. He's looking for those who know they need him. He's looking for people who will become a conduit of life into a dying world. And he is listening. The Bible is full of examples of God listening. In Exodus chapter 3, from verse 7 on, after hundreds of years in slavery, God met a man who was 80 years of age called Moses in the Sinai Desert. And he said this to him, I have seen my people's misery. I have heard their cry. And I have come down to deliver them. God sees the misery on the streets of Belfast. He sees the heartbreak hidden behind homes and houses. And all he is looking for is someone like Moses who will say to him, I'll give you what's in my hand. I'll give you me. I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my life. I'll give you my dreams. I'll give you my imagination. I'll give you my time. I'll give you my future. I'll give you my choices. I just want you to be glorified in their lives. 
many hundreds of years later. Around 606 BC, Israel was facing its darkest hour. It was being trailed into captivity by the Babylonians, where it would remain a hostage nation for 70 years. And as it was being trailed into that place, God raised a man called Jeremiah, sometimes called the weeping prophet, because all he did was cry. And Jeremiah asks God not to destroy Jerusalem, asks God not to let it happen, asks God to make sure that it is avoided, and God says, no. This city is going to be devastated, these people are going to be displaced, and everything is going to look like it is over. A bit like somebody standing on January the 1st, 2020, and saying, God, give me a good year, because if you don't give me a good year, I'm not going to follow you. Instead, God says to Jeremiah, these people are going to go into captivity. And for two generations, they're going to go through the worst kind of experience that you can imagine. And then here is what God says to them in Jeremiah chapter 31. Imagine this at the darkest moment of your life. When everything has gone wrong. Maybe standing at a graveside or losing a house because of missed mortgage payments or a a divorce or a job gone, or everything devastated. Your alcoholic husband has wrecked your life, and the only thing you knew how to do was escape to save your kids. In that moment of greatest darkness, when everything is pressing down on Israel, here is what God says to them. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, and to give you a hope and a future. And just a few chapters later, he says... Call on me. In Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, call on me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you have never seen before. It is in the darkest moments of our lives, the moments full of uncertainty and fear, when God interrupts us, when God touches us and transforms us. If Solomon's prayer is a prayer of consecration and Moses' exchange with God is an exchange of deliverance and salvation, then Jeremiah's promise from God is for revelation. When you don't know what to do, when you don't know who to turn to, when every avenue has been expended and you're at the bottom of your energy pile, God can see you through. When you have nothing else to cling to, he is enough. When all you can say is, save me, help me, deliver me, God has the capacity to know your heart and to reach into your soul and to give you hope. He hears us. Jesus told us that we were to seek his Father. In a plethora of examples in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, Mark chapter 11, verse 24, John chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says again and again, ask God, speak to my Father. And if you ask in faith, believing according to his will, he will hear you. God is listening with laser-sharp precision to this meeting tonight. 
We run into a problem if we think about prayer for very long. In fact, we run into several. Why doesn't God always say yes? Why doesn't God heal every person that we ask him to heal? Why doesn't he intervene every time we need him to intervene? There are many theological answers I could give you to that about the presence of sin in the world and the conflicts that we exist within and the sense that we live in a tension called already and not yet. God's kingdom has come, but it is not yet finally and fully consummated. That will happen when Christ returns. There are challenges around how we pray and when we pray and why we pray and the motivation of our prayer. James says you ask and receive not because you ask with the wrong motive. There are many good answers, but I think you probably know most of them. In the end, when people say to me, why doesn't God always give me what I want? The answer is sometimes what you want isn't good for you. Ruth uh, Graham, Billy Graham's wife, once said to him about six years before he died, I'm so glad God didn't answer all of my prayers with a yes. And he said, why is that, dear? And she said, because I wouldn't have been married to you. (laughs) But in the end, there is a mystery about this. I don't know why God doesn't always answer our prayers with a yes. I don't think anybody does. And I'm not going to sermonize over your heartbreak. I'm not going to use your pain as an illustration. But in the end, God sees, God knows, God hears, and God cares. I think sometimes we want him to speak quickly. I wonder how many of us want God to speak instantaneously rather than using the means of grace that he has given us by which he speaks. You're going to laugh at this, not because you think it's odd, but because I know it sounds odd. Do you know who God sounds like most in my life? This is honestly true. My wife. Ordinary conversations. Moments across a dining room table. Walks with our two mad dogs. Dialoguing about where we're going and what we're doing with our lives. God speaks to me through Debbie. She's the human voice that I hear more than anybody else's as God's voice into my life. I also hear God through our leadership team, a collective wisdom that has the capacity to harness some things that God might be saying, to stop things that he's not saying, and a a, a real sense of we hear and are better when we lead and live together. I have lost count of the many times I've heard him through you. A smile, a tear in a hospital room, a handshake at the door, a moment to say, how are you, Malcolm? You look tired. Your voice has so often been to me the voice of God, reminding me that he sees, that he cares, that he's interested. But with all of those voices, here's the stress, the strain and the tension. Here's the problem. They're all human voices in the end, and they might be wrong. 
But the Bible isn't wrong. God speaks to me through his word if I will take the time to listen to him in it. He will guide me. He will chastise me. He will hold me. He will protect me. He'll instruct me. He'll bridle me. God speaks to me through worship. He doesn't have to, but he does. He speaks to me through praise. He speaks to me through silence, through journaling, through listening. He speaks to me through sacrifice. He speaks to me through companionship. He speaks in so many ways. I think perhaps the problem is that what we often want God to do is just say something very quickly and very easily so there's no digging required. I remember a very powerful moment in the church that I led prior to coming here. We had a fantastic youth group. Actually, as an encouragement to you, Davy, and to um, the 412 team, it was based on 412. Tyler, you started it. It was your fault. It was a, a Friday night meeting that was based on 412. And it, was, it went from nothing to 70 or 80. My daughters were involved in it. 70 or 80 young people meeting every Friday. And they were full of passion and energy and life. But I remember one moment in it when a group of people were talking about what they sensed God might be wanting to do next in this youth group. And at that point, it was terrific. And somebody asked them a question because they were reading the Bible about what they were looking for. And then they had a time of sharing what they felt God might be saying through visions and pictures. And I also believe God uses those. But they're always secondary. They're always confirmed by the Bible. But a very wise person said to that group of young people as they were trying to work out what God was saying, are you more excited about what you've just read in the Bible or about the sudden and instantaneous word that you've just heard? The truth is that they were more excited about the sudden and the instantaneous word. But of course they all said, no, 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 we're more excited about the Bible. A word to those of you that are charismatic. They want every meeting to be full of suddenness and instantaneousness. Be rooted in scripture. Be rooted in the voice of God coming through the pages of the Bible that give us an example and a picture of who Jesus Christ is and test everything that you hear against this book. Because in this book, we find words of life. We find words of direction and encouragement and support. As I said this morning, we don't worship this book. But in it, we meet with the God who has crafted us and we hear of the greatest statement that God has ever made. The life and the example of Jesus Christ. Why do I pray? Well, I pray for you every day like that. Normally much longer, but you'd have been bored if I had carried on. Because I can't do this job without it. I can't lead you without kneeling for you. It's a necessity. I pray because the idea for me anyway that I'm called to be a preacher has always been preposterous. <laughs> Not because I have a low self-image. I've just never been able to understand how any human being can talk with any coherence about the creator of the universe. What could I possibly say that could make sense? 
about God. I mean it. The preachers in the room will be nodding internally, even if you're not nodding externally, saying it is a ridiculous idea to suggest that a human being can speak with any sense of coherence at all about God. I've said this to you before. Every time I preach, I am nervous. Every time I open the Bible, I think, what on earth am I doing here? Why are these people even listening? So that prayer might be a silent one of utter desperation. I'm going to let you into a secret. I've been preaching now for 33 years. And not regularly, but every now and again, I go through a real season of feeling completely inadequate as a preacher, not just the normal inadequacy, but feeling as if my words are not connecting. Like I'm drilling a hole and there's nothing there. And you say, well, stop boring then. I said the joke before you could get to it. I'm in one of those seasons at the moment. For a couple of months now, I felt as if I'm not connecting with you. As if I'm just missing the point. I know I'm not, and I'm not telling you that for sympathy. The reason I keep doing this is because I think that's a lie from the enemy. And I have to remind myself that God called me to do this. And that I will keep doing it. And that I won't stop unless God tells me to stop. That means you're stuck with me, which I think is wonderful. But I also pray because in that space, I have discovered, and it's hard for me to explain this to you without it sounding soppy or sentimentalized. I've discovered a freedom in who I am sitting with my best friend that is liberating. To be allowed to sit with God. And to know that he is listening. That he is interested. And that when I talk to him, he smiles. I've come to realize over the last 15 or 20 years, I think, God likes me. He doesn't just love me. He enjoys my company. And prayer is a way for me to spend time with him. Do you think God likes you? When you hear of a week of prayer, what's your reaction? Oh no. Do I have to go? Thank God it's only Wednesday and Friday night. Or do you think perhaps it's an opportunity to develop a deeper level of friendship with the creator of the universe? I think God wants to say some things to us. 
He has spoken so clearly through his son, Jesus. If you want to know how much God loves you, Jesus will show you. If you want to know if he's interested in you, Jesus will show you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you want to know if you're included in that number, listen to this from Jesus. All who come to me, I will in no wise reject. Could it be possible that the creator of the universe is in this room and he has something to say to you? Could that be possible? And that that's something could guide you and hold you through 2020 in a way that a New Year's resolution, resolution will not. Could he have something to say to you about your life, about your worries, about your anxieties, about your questions? He doesn't need us to be perfect. He just needs us to be listening. This morning... I told our church family that I believe that God has given us a couple of verses for this year. I invite you to write them down, to think about them and to reflect on them and to pray into them across this whole year. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. I take it seriously that as the senior pastor of this fellowship, I believe that these are the two verses that God has given me for us as a church. For every department. To pray into, to allow them to shape how we lead and pastor and relate and care and think that God might be wanting to release something in our church of great power, not just when we gather, but when we are separated. 